0: Welcome to the Creators with AI podcast. I'm your host, David, and this is a show where we share insights about the future of artificial intelligence and how it will affect the lives of people working in the creative industries. On today's show, we chat with Dr. Ruth Morgan, the award winning Vice Dean of Interdisciplinary Entrepreneurship at University College London. In our conversation, we discuss her roles at UCL and her mission to bridge the gap in forensic science using the metaphor of a meadow to illustrate the importance of diversity and interconnectedness when solving complex global issues. We talk about AI's potential and its dual use implications, how it can revolutionize our lives and its potentially transformative impact on forensic science, the legal system and education. At the end of the conversation, we had a lively chat about assigning gender to AI and what we should name it, or should we name it at all. Dr. Morgan obtained her PhD from Oxford University and is currently the Vice Dean of Interdisciplinary Entrepreneurship at the UCL Faculty of Engineering Sciences. She's a founder and director of the UCL Center for the Forensic Sciences, where her research group addresses critical questions for the accurate interpretation of forensic science evidence, the role of science in policy, and interdisciplinary perspectives and synergies between engineering and the arts and humanities, especially when solving complex global challenges. She's won multiple P.W. Allen Awards, which are issued by the Chartered Society of the Forensic Sciences, for the most meritorious paper published in Science and Justice each year. She's an active member of the Young Scientist community at the World Economic Forum, where she was also a member of the Global Future Council on Scientific Collaboration, and the Global Future Council on VR and AR. She was a specialist advisor to the House of Lords Science and Technology Committee's Inquiry on Forensic Science, and she's a well-known speaker and commentator on forensic science, the role of science in policy, and the importance of interdisciplinarity. She's even done a TED Talk you can find on YouTube. Links to Ruth's profile and social media will be in the show notes and on our website at creativeswith.ai. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy this lively conversation with Ruth hi ruth welcome to the podcast how are you today
1: good thanks good yeah it's um it's summer in the university which is an interesting time it's quieter but busier it's so yeah madly madly writing planning but but all good all good thank you i was
0: gonna say is that the time you actually get to sit and do some work while the students aren't there so you can (laughs) spend your time writing your papers and and all, all the stuff that you actually need to get through
1: yeah and, and and creating better spaces and thinking and catching up with those people that are such great value to connect with it you know regularly and find out what they're doing and get that inspiration ready for the new year yeah
0: brilliant. so we met at Fearless event back in mm. May, I think it was already, which is seems crazy that it was that long ago, and I know you're super busy, so to start off with, thanks very much for your time today. I've given an intro, we'll introduce the podcast, but maybe if you just gave a couple of minutes and just introduce yourself to everybody and sort of give them a little bit about your background and and that sort of thing, just to set the tone.
1: So I'm a a professor of crime and forensic science at University College London, UCL, and I've been there a number of years now. I set up the Centre for Forensic Sciences back in 2010, and that was to really address the big gap that we could see in forensic science when it came to being able to interpret what evidence means. So lots of people were doing great jobs in terms of developing the technological capabilities for analysing particular forms of material and detecting them quicker, more effectively, more robustly. But there was this part of the process in terms of being able to understand what, what that actually means. So we can find your DNA, but when we find it on a knife, what does that mean? Did you touch the knife three weeks ago or did you use it to commission a crime? So those kinds of questions, which has, it is always about... The physical evidence itself, but also the people that are engaging with it—the the examiners, the scientists, the legal professionals, and, and the juries. So it's it's a very sort of tech and people approach to things, and so we've been doing that since since 2010. So I'm also, and in in more recently, I've taken on a post in, within the Faculty of Engineering. So I'm Vice Dean for Interdisciplinarity and Entrepreneurship, which is a bit of a mouthful. Essentially, what we're trying to do is get an overview of what's going on across the whole base in in engineering and bring in the insights that exist in all the different fields together so so building bridges between disciplines and not just within engineering I'm working very closely with a fantastic colleague in the Faculty of Arts and Humanities and we're looking to bring together the insights from the arts the humanities the social sciences with engineering and science so that we can find innovative ways of thinking about existing challenges that might find us ways of of, of making breakthroughs And, and more than that it's how do we get what's going on and the capabilities that exist within the university out to the real world so how can we be building bridges between the university and industry and government and policy and the charity sector to make sure that what's happening in in the university is meaningful is going to engage with real-world challenges and be usable and actually affect the changes that we need.
0: That's really interesting and it, it feels like one of the struggles because obviously I work a bit with public sector and in innovation also and one of the big challenges that we have there is how do you move something that's that's a proof of concept or a bit of research into business as usual and have that adopted And that feels like a very similar type challenge that, Mm. you know, that you're facing and trying to address, which is, is really interesting. And, and I, that's really cool. So when we met at the fearless event, you were talking about, you did a, you did a great speech and you talked about a meadow and bees. And again, without, I don't want to do you any disservice. So if you could maybe just touch on that a little bit, because I think it's a good way to explain kind of what you're talking about. And then, I have some questions about how that then, you know, how AI might be able to support that and, and we can start to, to go in that direction. But again, I think it adds a little bit of context and um, I think it's a really interesting way to think about it. So if you wouldn't mind maybe telling everybody about that.
1: So I think it all, it's all really come about by sort of thinking about the big global challenges that exist are still here and we're not making the progress that we would have hoped that we might make. Um, we're not getting fast enough. We're not getting far enough quick enough. And there's a a quote from Einstein, which I find quite fascinating, which is we're not going to solve our problems with the same thinking that created them. And so where a lot of this has come from is this idea that actually, if we want to tackle big complex challenges, AI is is a great example, we have to be thinking differently to how we maybe have been thinking before. And what has happened as we've been working in this very interdisciplinary way Within the university is that we've realized that generally speaking, you only really find those different ways of thinking about things or those different perspectives on things that just create those light bulb moments when you're in what we call this the the proverbial meadow. So if you think about a meadow, it's got just loads of different plants, it's got flowers, it's got grasses, it's 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 got a, a huge diversity, it's it's all out there. And it's it's an ecosystem so it's not just the plants it's all about you know the type of soil it's about the, the the weather but it's also about the animals and the insects that are part of that ecosystem and when it all works together it it, it really thrives and the big contrast i think between a meadow and say a, a field of corn or a field of wheat is that in the meadow you've just got everything all together all connected to, in a fair it looks quite complex quite chaotic but it but it really works whereas in a field of corn you've got very neat straight rows um, for, for a very different reason but you generally want one crop so our our metaphor if you like is that we want to be in the meadow we want to create opportunities for people to get out um into the meadow and therefore be bees so bees are the insect that the research is showing us is are absolutely critical to to so much to to food production to, to, to thriving um, ecosystems and um, bees travel from plant to plant they they collect pollen as they go they cross pollinate as they go but they also honeybees specifically come back to the nest and transform all those insights all that pollen into something completely different into honey and that honey can then be useful in a whole range of other different settings and sectors. So that's really what, what we're trying to do with the, the work that we're doing. We've called it the Arista Institute because Arista is short for Aristaeus, which is the Greek god of beekeeping. So we want to be creating those opportunities for people to get out into the meadow, to explore, to have those conversations with people who have different perspectives, different disciplinary backgrounds to them, different um, generational Uh, stages different career stages um that diversity and then to be able to have the space to really think about it to make those connections and hopefully produce that honey that's going to really help us with with, with the breakthroughs
0: that was way better than i would have done so (laughs) i'm glad i got you to do that instead of me a couple of interesting things from that one is i find it quite interesting that there was a greek god of honey of honeybees Mm. as well so that sort of you know that shows you how important that was and has been recognized as being important for Mm. millennia Mm. so that's one thing that sort of jumped out at me i guess my question is and i totally agree with you and i i think i think in education and in government and everything people tend to be very siloed in what they do and people become specialists in their particular area which is fine and everybody you know that that's sort of how the world is now. I've, you know, people specialize in, in whatever their skill is, and we all work together. Except we only work together when we have to work together. And I completely agree with you that there needs to be more of that chat. So my big question for you is: is how do you see, or do you see AI as an enabler for that type of communication and in that in, in that working together and that cross disciplinary, those cross disciplinary conversations? And if so, or not, how do you think that might play out?
1: So that is a big question and it's a brilliant question. And I don't know if I fully know the answer, but you've often said you're a glass half full kind of person on this and and I'd say the same. I think there absolutely has to be um, ways in which AI is going to create so many opportunities to do this bigger and better and, and, and in ways that we probably can't quite Imagine right now, certainly in terms of the being able to gain insight from broader and more diverse perspectives that seems to me something quite exciting I think the the, the capabilities of, of synthesis that AI potent, has the potential to to deliver is something very very interesting I can see that there might be ways where human ingenuity and AI capabilities in, in that Sort of space put together could take us in in massive leaps forward to what the incremental steps that we're probably looking at right now. So I think there's a huge amount of potential. I think we do have to 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 think about how we how we navigate that and how we ensure that we don't have gaps. You know that, that, that there are voices that are not currently there that need to be there, and I think that's something. That AI has the potential to offer at the moment. Obviously, we, you know, there's lots of talk about the the fact that an awful lot of the say that you know the generative AI. There's an awful lot of skew in terms of how those models have been produced and where they're getting their insights and data from, um, which leaves out large parts of, of of the world. So there are a few things that need to be looked at quite carefully for that. But in terms of the Capacity for synthesis and the capacity for generating multiple different outcomes with the same starting point we're getting quite exciting and I guess it's similar to, to drug discovery and, and and those kinds of um applications at the moment that you you could run an awful you could do an awful lot more an awful lot more quickly um, It's still going to require the human I think to be Teasing out where there's value, what's what, what kind of works, what what doesn't to to sense check a lot of these things, but in terms of creating more opportunities for making those connections and the synthesis that comes from them, yeah, a watch this space kind of moment, I think.
0: I think there's massive potential. Of course, there's it's the dual use problem, right? Like everything that can be used for good can also be used for bad. So yeah, okay, we know that that's a given. What I wondered is. Or I guess the way I was thinking about it before is, you know, when you ask, I don't know, chat GPT or something, a question at the minute, we don't know where it, well, I take a step back. If I ask you a question, I don't know where you're gathering your information to answer mm-hmm. that question, but you have knowledge from all sorts of fields you've got forensics you've got english you've got math you've got some physics like you've got a whole range of stuff that you've studied that you grew up with that you saw when you were a kid all of that stuff swirls around in your head and then you come up with an answer it's the same thing with ai right it and Mm -hmm. everybody says oh it's a black box but so are humans humans are the are the ultimate black box because even if you ask a human it can't tell you where it got its information Whereas sometimes AI at least can.
1: Yeah, h- yeah, humans really are quite. It's very interesting how we think we've made a very logical decision, but actually, the thing yeah, is, no, not at all. The technologies now are now showing us that what we think we're doing actually isn't what we're doing. And it's, it's fascinating. Sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah, the, actually, right. We're already off track and it's great. I love it. I was just having lunch with my wife and we were talking about this exact thing. And she said she was. I think she was watching something on Netflix. I'll try and find out from her and I'll put it in the show notes if anybody wants to follow up. But essentially they did this test where they took somebody and they put a scar, a fake scar on their face. And then they basically they said, "Okay, we're going to send you in for this job interview and we want to see how people react to you with the scar on your face. So they had them sort of go around for like an hour or something and wait around and do all this stuff. you know. And you know how it is with production. There's all this production crew around and there's all sorts of busy stuff, so they're kind of sitting mm-hmm. on the side. And then they basically said, oh, we need to touch up your makeup and stuff before you go in. And they take the scar off. But the people don't know that the scar is not there because there's not a mirror. So they go in thinking there's a scar on their face. And they have this interview and then they ask them about. So then the 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 team interviews them. The the person afterwards and says oh how did the interview go and it was showing that they would say oh yeah well they said this thing that was you know they were directly commenting on the scar and but basically they interpreted what they were told and in some cases completely invented stuff that they thought that the person had said or that you know that they just said oh yeah they they talked about this thing because it was it was recorded so they knew exactly what was said and what wasn't said and it was really, really interesting. And that goes back to, it's the perception. I think a lot of stuff is what we expect to hear is what we hear.
1: Mm. What you expect to see.
0: And, you, and what you, you expect to see yeah. and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, from a human perspective, it's, that's super interesting. And it's something I even noticed when I very first started recording myself and doing videos and things is I would record a video and I'd go back and watch it later and I'd go, but that's not what I said. And so what I actually said is different than what I thought I said in my head, which is really off-putting. That is super <laughs> off-putting when that happens. And um, after talking to a few people who who sort of did that in the beginning, they also said the same thing. So you kind of think one thing, but you sometimes you say another. Like, it's not like you tell a completely different story, but just single word choices and things like that. And then, mm. so that's just a little clue into it. And so- the whole concept that, you know, we have to know what AI is doing all the time and all of that, I think is a total red herring because we're never going to know. And we don't know about humans anyway. So to bring it all the way back around, what I think is potentially interesting about AI is it has a hu- a much, much larger body of knowledge on which to draw. Mm-hmm. So I was just thinking in a, I don't know, obviously in a forensic context, I don't know how you may or may not use AI in forensics. So we can touch on that at some point mm-hmm. as well, maybe. But my, my thought process was is that if you if you asked AI a question, it might be able to pull in more knowledge from physics or from chemistry or from some other discipline that you don't really know much about, and it would bring in a whole side that you've mm. never even considered before. And the power there is what I think is really interesting and also scary for some people, you know. Mm. Because humans are quite simple and we are quite limited, and you start saying, "Well, this thing's now a hundred times smarter," even though it's not smarter, it just has more data to to pull Correct. from. I don't know. I mean, do you agree? Do you do you see that as an opportunity? I don't know. I'm I'm kind of talking, and I apologize. I'm talking a lot, but
1: no, no. It's, it's I think this, this is what great conversation is. I think that's such a fascinating point because. So I was thinking about this because there's, there's probably a couple of areas in which. We're beginning to see the use of AI in forensic science. Um, the first one is is in recognizing patterns so so like with um, in the medical sphere, you know being able to identify potential um, cancers in, in in screening materials we're, we're, look, we're looking at how to what degree can we can we train machine learning to identify important patterns, whether that's um, with footwear marks or whether it's in in anthropology so looking at um skeletal remains and 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 specific features in in skeletal remains and so that that's that's the one aspect and then the other aspect is finding patterns in the first place so the rise of digital materials in in forensic science is, is quite extraordinary so so yeah so we've got um Finding those patterns in the first place in digital, in digital evidence. So, the, the, the anecdotal evidence from investigators I've spoken to is that of, of crimes that happen in the physical world, we're looking at between 80 and 90% of them now have digital evidence as a component. So, materials on your phone or on, on computers. So, everything from, from messages to call log data to browser history. geolocation data so there's a now this huge amount of data which means that we've gone from this really we're going through this interesting transition from the really the traditional forensic science which you know Sherlock Holmes really embodies that you know trying to find that tiny tiny speck of material and then infer meaning as much meaning as you possibly can from this tiny tiny amount of material to, to what we're transitioning into this time where Actually, we've got so much data it's it's a very different challenge. It's about trying to find what's relevant in in it, to the needle in the proverbial haystack so that's that's been quite an interesting space to be to be think, considering AI in I think because there's a huge amount of capability. but because you've got the science coming into contact with what's going on in a court. And in science, you've got a lot of provisionality, a lot of revising of your theory as you falsify your hypothesis and you you develop as as things fail and you revise and you revise in the light of new information. In a court of law, you've got to be beyond reasonable doubt. So actually, some of the interesting conversations around this have really been about to what degree do we need explainable AI tools? (laughs) To what degree do we need to be able to explain to a jury exactly how an ai tool has has come up with a particular result and you've also got the fact that this is a marketized system so i guess the best well known example of this is is the software that's been created to to discern between mixed dna profile samples so yes so the, the, there's been a lot of legal conversation around should these companies have to reveal their code so that it's possible to understand how how these tools have actually made made um, conclusions about how many people are present in this DNA profile and and who is present in that profile. So I think that's a really interesting question. I think, because, yeah, this sort of explainability, the transparency is so important in legal proceedings, particularly if you ever have to go back. So if there is an appeal and you have to go back and re-examine evidence five years, ten years later the level of transparency in terms of how interpretations about what evidence meant is, is important. But your point is an incredibly salient one because, you know, a forensic examiner who's looked at a piece of material has used their expertise and used their experience and come up with a conclusion. And they might well have documented how they've done that, but as we were just saying, that doesn't actually cover the whole, the whole process. Um, no, no. So yeah, it's a really I I really like that perspective on it. I'm gonna think about that a bit more. The
0: other thing obviously is the march of technology, right? So, you know, we've my wife again, I'm gonna talk about my wife a lot this episode because she's totally into forensics and and you know, she loves all that stuff. So I hear tons and tons of podcasts about you know investigations into cases and all that sort of stuff. So but yeah, you know, there's all this stuff where they can go back to evidence from, you know, 15 20 years ago and they can go back and reanalyze it because the technology has moved on. Mm-hmm. And I think you're absolutely right and I I do think it's probably important that maybe even if those companies don't have to provide that information publicly that that can just be kept in escrow somewhere or locked away somewhere, but the methodology is, is, is actually recorded somewhere. Hmm. So that 15 years from now, if, if that person's, I don't know, maybe on death row or something, and they come back and they go, well, look, you need to go back and re-examine that evidence because the technology is way better now than it used to be. When that, and maybe they find a discrepancy and then they go back to court, then at that point they can go, well, 15 years ago, this is how they analyzed this data and this is why they came up with the answer that they did. But now our technology is way better and we understand that, you know, and then you can make a comparison. But mm. like you said, if you don't have that, you can't do that. And you just go, well, that's what it said at the time. And they'll assume that, the, you know, it it I could see where it would make it easier. The other thing that, that popped into into my head when you were talking about that is the medical stuff. And I was at um I was at Oxford University at a, a conference and that one of the a medical researcher stood up and was talking about some of the breast cancer identification mm. stuff, which is actually very, very good now. Mm. And what was really funny about that is he said in the beginning, they thought that it didn't work because it was coming up with lots of false positives all the time. And so they they just kept trying to retrain it because they're like, well, it's not working. It's not working. And it wasn't until four years later that they realized that it was actually correct. It was identifying it so far ahead that they couldn't even realize that that's what it was doing. So they thought it was broken when it wasn't actually broken. But actually, it was
1: identifying things even, yeah, earlier,
0: even, even earlier than... even earlier than a human could. And that's another funny side to this that might, you know, seems like that might have a forensic application as well, that if some of this stuff is happening and you're getting really funny results that you don't expect, maybe don't completely discount all of that, That the that it's broken, it may actually be doing something that you don't like. We we can't even do it as humans. We can't tell the difference. I mean, he said it was something about the the resolution. So the the computer could work to a much finer resolution. It can work to like ten decimal places of of color gradient or something where the human eye can't see anywhere near that. And so, and, and a screen much less can't display those fine gradients between mm. it. So there's no physical way that a human could see what the computer could see in the data because the data, the data was much finer. So that's where they, and please don't anybody quote me on this. I'm not a, I'm not a medical researcher. Um, <laughs> and if, if some scan doesn't work right, it's not my fault. But, but from, from the best of my memory, this, this, this was the reason. And so, again, I think there's huge potential for it You know, around forensics and medicine and all that sort of stuff.
1: It's the new microscope, maybe.
0: It is kind of enabling
1: us to see that next level of of detail that we can't see with the naked eye. But
0: yeah, the other side of that is is what it's also put a microscope on is looking at humans. I think, Mm. and we're not as complex as we like to think we are. I think, (laughs) and I think that's what AI is beginning to highlight is is that a computer can have an algorithm. That essentially people can't tell is not a human mm. so does that mean human i think there's a there's there's which this is a like pub conversation with your mates kind of thing but do you know what i mean it's almost like what 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 does that mean mm. for people who've always thought you know humans are the most complex thing on the planet and now it's kind of like well you know some guys at, at a university wrote an algorithm that essentially is a human i don't and know I what that means
1: also- <laughs> It, yeah.
0: Sorry, we're straying way watch off the, topic. Definitely but watch then. this
1: space on that. But it, <laughs> it, that's an interesting one though, isn't it? Because it's, it's about, because there's often quite a lot of talk of in terms about the, the capability of AI and therefore the potential power of AI. But that sort of line of, of thought actually means it, that the AI doesn't actually have to be powerful, but it has to be able to be perceived as powerful. So it doesn't actually have to have the capability, and but it has to be able to elicit that kind of reaction in in, in a human, say. So if it can mimic the language and the phraseology and the content that is difficult to discern between human and AI, actually maybe it doesn't matter how capable the AI is. It it, it has power because of the way humans interact with it. It, It's that Mm. sort of path you start going down, isn't it? Which is... Yeah, quite an interesting
0: one. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's been really interesting, you know, To, and I've talked to such a wide range of people everywhere from, you know, people who've been in defense and, you know, sort of, you know, ex-admirals in the Royal Navy to people in PR to people in education. And it, it, it's been really interesting to kind of get everyone's view and to, to try and sort of make some sense of it in my head, which is the whole reason I do the podcast, because I'm just trying to make sense of it. And I thought, it, you know, it's in, maybe some other people are trying to make sense of it as well. I do want to slightly bring us back though. I've got sli- <laughs> we've got slightly off track and I I did actually have a few things that I wanted to to kind of dig in on with you a little bit. So I know you've done a TED Talk and that's mm-hmm. online and on YouTube and and we can find that everywhere. And in that you talked a lot about creativity and imagination in science. And I wonder if if you think or or if you have any thoughts about hey how AI might serve as sort of a catalyst to, to, to help maybe, I don't know, foster innovative thinking or something like, you know, something um, in both the scientific and the creative domains. And Mm. I just didn't know if maybe you had some thoughts around, around that.
1: Some really great question. I, so yeah, thinking, I've been thinking a lot about the role of creativity in, in science and we've done some really interesting projects where we've put artists and scientists together and got them to, to share their perspectives and realising that there's actually so yeah so much art and craft in science, but there's also so much uh, science in, in, in the arts as well. So it's, it's a really rich place to, to, to start pulling on that thread. I think one of the things that AI is already doing and will probably do even more in terms of helping us think that through is that it, it really does raise the question about what what is creativity in science, and do to to what degree do we need it and and to what degree does it open up opportunities? And I think then it then you then get to a point of trying to work out what is it that is that brings about real innovation. And I guess it comes back a little bit to the point you made earlier about specialism versus generalism, and the idea that traditionally in in particularly in the sciences, we've really focused on creating specialists and our education system and um, our disciplinary classifications really promote the idea of of finding your niche and and, and going going deep into it and becoming really really expert in something very very focused and there are so many big challenges out there where that is exactly what we need and that, that that's why we why it's why it's come about like that but you also need the people who are at the intersections, who can spot the patterns, who can bring things together, and who can do that more—I suppose—lateral, lateral thinking work, so that it, it isn't actually only when we're forced to work together that we do it. Actually, becomes a, a much more dynamic, ongoing conversation that it enables what's going on at the intersections to, to come to the fore. And so, I guess that's where I'm quite excited in terms of what AI might be able to do. In, in the very short term, I think because there's so much hype around AI, that it's actually a really nice opening gambit to, to to building bridges across across different disciplines with people with different backgrounds. Because everyone's aware that AI is going to change things. It's everyone's thinking through how does it change my my particular world or my particular field or the work I'm. The way I'm doing my work, so it's a really amazing point of common ground, which is really exciting because it it creates those opportunities for those conversations. And I'm I'm a really big believer in in, in conversation, particularly the kinds of conversations that evolve and, and go on. Um, I'm I've also been known to say that we need to have people in research. At the table not on tap so you know when, when there's a big problem traditionally you sort of you, you will the scientist in to find a solution whereas my argument in, in that particular example is that if the scientist had been in the at the table in the years <laughs> months coming up to that point that kind of thinking would already be embedded in, in 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 the way that we're tackling challenges and and it might not have got to the point where we need a need someone to come in and
0: interesting yeah
1: fix the problem so it's there's there's, there's a real interesting thing about conversation and, and therefore what ai can do and then there's then there's the technical capability of ai is i guess the third thing to what degree is it going to be possible to essentially imagine what could be possible with with, with the help of ai and there's that amazing phrase that you know if you build it they will come but there's also that you can't be what you can't see, so there's these those sort of things in tension. That I think, if we can imagine a really fantastic outcome, we we can work towards it. But also, if we can if we can see it before it exists, which I think is where AI can help us, we might get there quicker, and we might be able to navigate some of the unintended consequences as well as the intended. Outcomes. Don't know if that resonates with you.
0: <laughs> no, it, no, no, no. It does. It's all. It's all. It's all very thought provoking as well. Yeah, we're we're certainly at a we're certainly at an inflection point. I think mm. where it can, it can kind of go either way, and it can you know it can be used for all sorts of things. I like what you were saying though about sort of having the scientist at the table earlier, and I think I absolutely agree. And again, you know, we agree on this standpoint that there should be more inter- interdisciplinary. Uh, communication and Mm. you know working together and you know again in education and public sector are the perfect examples but that happens in industry and everywhere else anyway and you're absolutely right I think if we can get that done sooner then that will be great and I, I do genuinely think that AI might be a really good catalyst to start to make that happen just again because it's pulling from all sorts of places and we don't know where it's pulling from and it just has a bigger pool of data
1: and i guess it's interesting when you start thinking about a lot of the conversations that are going on specifically around ai and particularly sort of regulation of ai and it's interesting to me who's involved in those conversations you know and it's it's predominantly the usual suspects so it's the it's the people you'd expect to be at that table having those conversations and i wonder what might happen if there was an openness to bring in a broader range of, of people with, with, with different skills and expertise, but also different different generations and certainly different geographical locations and different cultural heritages. And I wonder if you might have a... It'd be a much messier conversation, it'd be a much broader conversation, but I wonder if it might get us somewhere that could, could actually get us get us the, the level of safeguarding that we need, but also the openness that we need for the innovation so that we can really can make sure that we're leveraging the, the good that is possible. I suppose, yeah, I'm, I'm, I wonder what voices we're not hearing in, in these conversations yeah. and, and whether, it be, whether it's possible to, to broaden that conversation.
0: This is gonna sound really funny, but what we're talking about and what you're talking about at the minute Reminds me very much of the whole reason that we built the internet, wasn't it? Exactly.
1: Yes. Right. Yeah, like you're right. that's yeah.
0: <laughs> literally why they, you know, Tim Berners-Lee built the internet because mm. that was exactly the point of it was to be able to enable, you know, well certainly in the beginning, scientists and and researchers and people at in academia to communicate with each other and to be able mm. to share ideas and to have those voices and to, and to have that, and I think. Broadly speaking, that's happened, mm-hmm. but we're now on to sort of, I don't know what people say, like Web3 or whatever, but we're we're much further down the road in that basic communication. But what's funny is, is it we've moved, we've moved the needle so far from where it was in the very beginning. If If you think back in the 50s and the 60s, you know, when kind of when the Internet was very, I guess that was DARPA back in the very, very beginning. And then, you know, sort of the, the Wide web kind of became more and more popular. And it it really wasn't what till probably the early to mid nineties, you know, when you had these sort of international, you know, sort of BBSs and stuff like that, where you could, you know, they were just text-based forums where you could go and chat and those were amazing, Mm. but we've moved on so far past that. But we've also created tons of problems, like look at social media, like social media in the beginning was great and it was great fun. And again, you know, people had amazing conversations and it was it was really fun and it was fantastic. And then look at where we are now.
1: <laughs> and I think what you're sort of outlining, I think, is this really interesting concept of with any kind of new capability or innovation, there's those who are using it for good intentions and with lofty aims and and really beautiful, actually, uh, goals. But with every endeavour like that, almost always history shows us that there are unintended consequences that happen. And then you've also then got those who come to use that capability or technology for ill, let's say, and they have both intended consequences and unintended consequences as well. So it's quite an interesting matrix of of the, of the intended goals and the unintended consequences. and And I wonder if you know can we learn from history with with AI being well, the point we're at right now, is it possible to build an AI world, an ecosystem where AI is part of that ecosystem that has resilience to enable all those. Intended good consequences to become uh, realised, but also safeguard against those unintended consequences, or at least build resilience to them so that the, the harm is minimised. It seems to me like that that should be possible. And if we'd had those conversations at the beginning of the internet, how different would it look now? And
0: do you think we could have even? I mean, we could have. See, it's so hard to do. Like looking back, right? Because you get twenty twenty vision, looking backwards. Mm. You know, could we have predicted what Twitter would be? I- I'm not sure that anybody back then could have come up with that idea, and really, you know, kind of predicted what that would what that would turn into at some point. So, it's it's yeah, it's very difficult. One thing that popped into my mind when you were saying that is is I started to wonder if you asked AI about the unintended consequences of developing a particular tool, if it could come mm-hmm. up with a bunch of ideas that are things that people might not have ever thought about. I've never done it myself, so I might have to play around with that later just to see what it what it says. Because it'll probably come up with stuff that seems like nonsense to us now. <laughs> and I'll be like, that would never happen that way and then it'll be absolutely correct.
1: So this idea between the, the black box of AI and the black box that, that people represent is interesting to me. To, it, science fiction writing has always been able to go forward, pull on a thread, take things to their logical conclusion, and to do that in multiple different spheres and dimensions. So yeah, I sort of wonder if you could take a a, a science fiction approach with an AI. That could be quite fun.
0: (laughs) Oh, science fiction. Okay. Um, Here's a question for you. There's three basic views in science fiction of the future. There's Star Trek, which is the utopian, you know, people are scientists, you know, we're exploring other galaxies in the, in the, you know, trying to make peace everywhere we go. And, you know, everybody seems quite educated. Nobody needs for anything. There's no money because nobody needs money because everything just gets made for you. That's one version. There's Mad Max, <laughs> which is the other version. Uh, which is it just descends into complete and total collapse and utter chaos, and there are no computers or anything left. But you know, it is literally you know we've taken steps back and it's it's just chaos everywhere. And then there's also the I think Dune is the third version, which is I don't know how much you know about or if you've read the books, but no. basically in the Dune universe, what's happened is is that humans went through this process where they had AI. They then realized the AI was terrible, so they killed it all. It, it, it caused a war, and the humans basically turned the AI off, and they made this decision that computers had to be stupid. Um, stupid. So it was more like calculators. So nobody's allowed to use computers or anything like that. So you, they don't exist in the universe except for on the spaceships, which are those big ships that transport everybody around. So there's, those are the three sort of views of of Ooh. kind of the science fiction view of the future. Which one wh- wh- where are you where are you placing your bets? I think oh glass half full, I've gotta go with
1: humans, so I've gotta go Star Trek. <laughs> what would you go for?
0: <laughs> I'm hoping for Star Trek. I I, <laughs> I fear that we're gonna end up with Mad Max. Mad Max.
1: <laughs> yeah. But I think that at least we're with like, like these kinds of conversations are happening, and I think you know there are so many the people you've been speaking to on the podcast are all awesome, awesome people. They've had brilliant insights. They, so I, yeah, I, I've got to. I think I put my hope in in, in human ingenuity and the the potential for for, for achieving good. Oh gosh, I'm gonna have nightmares now. <laughs>
0: I hope for Star Trek, but I suspect it might be there might be a Mad Max period that yeah. we're going to have to go through. And I had a co-host when I started the show, Dee Dee, and Dee and was a little bit more cautious and a little bit more kind of glass half empty. She thinks that it's ultimately going to, you know, be the ruin of humans. But I'm trying to represent her view correctly. But I think her st- her position is is that AI itself isn't going to say i need to get rid of humans and it's going to come up and kill everybody it's the socioeconomic stuff around the use of ai and the and the knock on effect that ai is going to have mm-hmm. that's going to cause the problems and then humans are going to wipe each other out because we're humans so that goes back to the sort of the mad max middle bit if we can survive the mad max middle bit when i mean it's very possible you know tons of people could be out of work you know we're going to have a situation where A lot of people aren't going to be working. There's not going to be much money around. Governments are going to have to come up with some sort of a solution, whether that's, you know, UBI or something like that. And then, but then the governments are going to start to run out of money. So then what happens when the governments run out of money? Do you know what I mean? So that there's potential that this could all go wrong. (laughs) Um, But hopefully the technology and, you know, some of the other technology can, can bolster us a little bit and and get us through that period. It's going to be awkward no matter what, but it's where we end up when we come out the other end. Yeah. Star Trek, hopefully, maybe Mad Max. <laughs> I think that's probably it. Um, so I haven't asked directly, but do, do, do you use AI at all yourself these days?
1: i think what's I'm putting you on the question. spot. Yeah, what's interesting about that question is that you, half the time I'm not sure we're, we're aware we are using AI. <laughs> Yeah, there's so much AI integrated into so many everyday things, isn't there? So, so yes, <laughs> I use AI. Do I? Am I explicitly using it? So we're beginning to sit. Yeah, we're beginning to experiment a little bit with um, the LLM capabilities and and the, particularly in the synthesis space. So, is it okay. possible to if you're doing a systematic review of all the literature on a particular topic, and you identify all all the, all the key papers? being able to use um say so chat GPT to 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 offer synthesis synthesized summaries of the key findings in in particular papers yeah. and then start to um think about f- finding those those themes and connections I think we're still quite cautious because you know we we're, we're double checking everything and we're having to so I think we're, we're sort of using it in 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 a dual way at the moment so we're we're using it as a tool and testing to see quite how it how it can help us achieve tasks that we've been doing manually uh, for, for a number of years so it's it's a bit of a work in progress it's a bit experimental and I, I guess at the moment I'm sort of dipping in and dipping out and um, seeing what's possible. but but every time you dip back in it's it's changed a bit it's it's come come on further and I, rem- I remember experimenting with it maybe last December and and um, you know, and then coming back to it in February, and being really quite surprised at just really how how much more nuanced it, 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 those kinds of summaries were. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think the other thing we're beginning to think about is, you know, obviously in the education, space, you know, lots of people have been writing about it, but you know it's very difficult to work out what is what has been generated by an AI tool and uh, and what has been written by a human. And so therefore to what degree can we weave these tools into into education and and learning in a way that equips students for 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 jobs that we don't even know exist yet probably (laughs) for some of them so not not vilifying it but being able to incorporate it and and think critically about what value it brings and and when it's appropriate to be using it and how to use it best
0: yeah it's a great point and there's been some stuff that's come out recently, which is quite interesting around that. I know there was an article, and I wish it had been out when I when I spoke to Steve before, because it would have been interesting to get his opinion on this. But I, I'll see him in Cambridge at the pub or something, and I'll talk to him about <laughs> it. But they they ran the US Constitution through an AI checker, and it came back saying that it was like 90% it was likely to be written by AI, which I found really interesting. And... From what I understand, sort of, it has to do with the way that it tries to interpret and to see if some, you know, if, if it's about how dense the content is and the word variability, and that they have some specialist terms for it, and I can't remember them off the top of my head. But basically, because it was a well-written document, that <laughs> it flagged it as potentially AI because there's a certain style, and mm-hmm. I, I suspect that. I don't know this for a fact, but I suspect that a lot of academic writing would probably get flagged even if it was written by you because mm-hmm. it's densely written and it's written in a particular style using particular words that aren't maybe used in normal, you know, it's, it's not what somebody would normally use. It's not what somebody in a marketing team would use. And so it, it keys off of that. And I think a lot of the models were, were probably mostly trained off of academic papers to begin with. And so, I mean, I don't know if you found this, but I find if you just ask it for if you it if you ask ChatGPT for a summary, the results you get are very academic sounding or very it's very formal professional language, mm. and I think that's because most of the core training was probably done on those type of documents because that's what was available, and so it it works perfectly if you want to use it in some circumstances, like like I find it summarizing something it's almost almost 100% correct all the time where you really need to check it is when you ask it to write something on its own but mm-hmm. if you if you if you put something into chat gpt give it papers give it websites like whatever a pdf and say summarize this for me like 99.9% of the time i'm pretty happy with what it comes back with and most of the time it comes back with stuff that i didn't even notice and I read it and I go, wow, okay. I never thought about that, but yeah, that's in there. So I'm like, damn, this thing's better than I am. I hate this thing and I love it at the same time.
1: <laughs> I think, I think that's a really interesting point though, isn't it? Cause I think that's what we're seeing that it's it, when it's used in, it, as a, in, in collaboration, so to speak, it, it's it seeing identifying things that maybe you haven't seen. And I guess back to our original point about how can AI help us have these more broad, diverse conversations. It's, it, to the point where the insights from 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 an, from an uh, chat GPT has has a really important voice as part of those conversations, and that will take those conversations to different places and and potentially find those connections that maybe would have taken us five years over a period of time to, to find we find in two months or whatever it might be, so that's that's quite yeah. Back, back, I'm, I'm back on my glass half
0: full. <laughs> Excellent. <Place. laughs> we've, we've come back around. To go, <laughs> yeah. to, we've, we've come away from Mad Packs. We're back. We're back. <laughs> so I'm conscious of time. We're at almost an hour, which has just flown by. So that's been amazing. But a, a couple of questions have come up randomly, and I don't normally do this, but they've just, I don't know, something in what you just said maybe in the last few minutes made me think of it. But in your mind, I, it's because we were calling it it. So in your mind, is AI male or female? Oh, <laughs> it,
1: it's, it's it. It really is it.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: What, what What is it for you?
0: It's female. Interesting. And I think... Do you think... have Alexa at home? No, no. Okay,
1: or a sat-nav? Wait, what voice have you I, chosen?
0: I do have sat I don't know. I don't know what the stats are. I bet there's some really interesting research on sat-nav and do women choose male or female voices and do <laughs> men choose male or female voices and, and all that. Um, but I I think it's because I want to say that Star Trek, the the computer voice in Star Trek is female, isn't it? And I think that, I mean, I used to watch that when I was a little kid when it was on, you know, in the like when it was actually on. And um, that's how old I am. And actual um,
1: time that you had to tune in on.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you had to wait for the next episode. Exactly. (laughs) Um, And yeah, so I I think that so that may have kind of polluted my sort of view of 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 what a computer would be just from because sci-fi it's mostly female Mm. except for two thousand one it's male of course and then it's evil so you can read into that what you want but I think um. that's
1: exactly where culture is so important isn't it Yeah. That this, it, there's so much in the, the stories that we have been around and are telling ourselves and, and we tell in our communities that feeds into all of this that's, that, that is so fascinating and we have to include we, you know, this is a tech and a people challenge yeah. we have to have both at the table for
0: sure and I mean, I guess at some point in the future, when it starts to talk to us, we, we'll just choose whatever voice we want. And mm. it could be our voice or someone else's or whatever. I couldn't think of anything. No offense, but I couldn't think of anything worse than AI being my wife's voice. Like, it'd be like the sat Could right. you imagine your husband, like your sat being your husband, giving you directions all the time? He's feeling, like, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> I get that enough when he's around. Like, no offense to your husband, I don't know, I'm just <laughs> guessing, but it, it could be anyone. Sorry, I'll go back. I'll, I'll, I'll start <laughs> over. It, your spouse, right? It could be your spouse. Nobody wants their spouse giving them directions in their sat nav all the time, I think. I think that would be really annoying, um, no matter who you are. But, yeah, no, it's, it, it's interesting. So if you could name it, what would you name it?
1: Ooh. Oh no that's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, I mean names are so so important. Like they mean meaning they actually define what you become. That's oh my gosh. I
0: Oh no. <laughs> You'll have to think of one. You completely stumped me there. You'll You'll have have
1: yeah. These are do you of- have do you have do you have a name in mind?
0: Not a clue. No okay. <laughs> I feel a bit better. (laughs) Although when I have random ideas about programs or anything, even if it's like a bot, for some reason I always think it's funny to call it Jeff, and I have no idea why. And I always just go, just ask Jeff. And (laughs) so I'd probably name it Jeff, actually. That could work. Which then goes against my female voice. So I don't know. I don't make any sense. Like, you know, anyway, Um, it could be. I mean, I have actually developed tools with an acronym that spelled out Jeff. That's how sad I am. Um, but anyway, it's quite you funny. Jeff first, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jeff,
1: Jeff is coming. <laughs> um,
0: the other one is, and just on this thread, have you seen the Amica robot? No. I'll put a link for everybody so you can all go and see it. But it's um, it's made down in Devon, and it's been on the BBC and all that sort of stuff, and, and I was at uh, CES in the US a couple of years ago, and the robot was there down at the end of the UK pavilion thing that we were on, and I got a chance to, to talk to her a few times. And it's, it was really interesting talking to the guy. Shout out to Will. Will, I still want you on the podcast, so please, if you listen to this, come, come and talk to me. But I was talking to Will, who was the, the, the designer, and it was really interesting because we were talking about the fact that, that robots tend to be female, Mm. And it's because they're less physically threatening and people res- like people accept them more easily because if you get a, it, it's almost like there's this perception that if you have a male robot, it's like Terminator, mm. right? Culture so they, again, right? <laughs> it's, yeah, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's like a, there's like this deep seated, it's more intimidating. And so they want it to, even though Amica is, doesn't have a gender it, the body of the robot is is made to look more female than male. It's just, it's really interesting, the whole psychology, like there's a whole psychology that goes behind that, which is, you know, ne- neither one of our specials- specialties. And um, that would be a whole great conversation to have. And I do mm-hmm. want to have Will on um, because I think a lot of the scaremongering that happens around AI is also very much tied into robotics. And I don't mm. think robotics is is... As far along, maybe as AI, but I don't know for sure. So I want to have him on because he's he's a he's an expert in that. But yeah, there's yeah, will it
1: will come on the come on the show? <laughs> yeah,
0: there we go. But yeah, no, it's, it was really interesting just the the psychology behind it. I think I'm going to start asking people that now.
1: I like um, that. Yeah,
0: you know, is AI should it is it male or female, and does it have a name? What would you name it? And because um, I, I you could actually
1: you could you could really get an awful lot of insight i think from that just in terms of how people are
0: um actually what i'll do is i'll put a poll on this episode as well so when the episode comes out anybody shout out to anybody that's listening please answer the question do you think ai is male or female and um i'll leave a comment section for if if you would name your your personal ai what would you name it there we go awesome cool ruth Thank you very much. It's been an amazing conversation. Oh, thank you. It's been really, really fun.
1: Thank you so much. Hopefully
0: I've me. hopefully we have given some people things to think about. I will And it's just
1: the beginning of the conversation, right? I mean hundred percent. This, is, this 100%. is just the beginning, so thank you.
0: As things develop in forensics or, or anything else i might want to get you back on to come and talk about that i tried to kind of stay away from forensics a little too much because i figure you literally talk about that all the time and that's <laughs> the only thing that anybody ever talks to you about so i did want to touch more on the on the, on the meadow and be more be um so i hope that's okay and uh if you want to come back and you want to have a whole f- like totally forensics based conversation i'm quite happy to do that as well
1: awesome well thank you thank you for the chance to talk about the meadow because yeah i'm I'm really excited by that metaphor and where it might go, so thank
0: you. Yeah, it's amazing. No, it's great. All right. Thanks very much, Ruth. We'll speak to you soon. Thanks so much. Cheers. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, folks, that's a wrap on another amazing episode of Creatives with AI. Thanks so much for joining us today. We really hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. If you want to stay up to date on how all things related to AI is impacting the creative industries, then be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever your favorite platform is. We're on them all. And follow us on social media. We're on mainly Twitter and LinkedIn, but we're the same handle everywhere, which is at Creatives with AI. We'd also really appreciate it if you could just take a minute to leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify those are our two main platforms and it really helps other listeners find the show and it also helps us get more popularity and more exposure so it'd be amazing if you could help us with that if you've got any questions topic suggestions guest recommendations feel free to send us an email the best email is hello at creativeswith.ai or you can shoot us a message on social media either one is fine We love hearing from all of you and we can't wait to bring more exciting episodes in the future. And the best way we can do that is to get feedback from the audience and have the audience tell us who it is you'd like to hear from and what things you'd like us to ask and what topics you'd like us to talk about. So please use that, let us know what you want to hear and we'll do our best to get it for you. And last but not least, we'd like to give a shout out to our sponsor, Future Hand Limited, who make this podcast possible. Your support means the world to us. And we really appreciate it. So thanks very much. That's it for today. So until next time, take care, everybody, and stay curious.